power on. Earth 2019. Dominant species, human. Galactic potential rating, zero. Cultural affiliation, combination of government and global businesses, corporatism, legacy institution. Species still conservative, superstitious, and religious. Ecologically illiterate, largely unaware of cosmological foundation of love. Level of technological dependence is disturbingly higher than the galactic standard. Species distracted and behavior controlled by technology companies. System error. Advanced concepts detected beyond normal human levels. New galactic potential rating, over 9000. Transmission type, podcast. Host, The Man of Tomorrow. Brian Sovereign. Source, Sovereign Tech. The best in the world, the podcast champion, baby, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, ready to give it to you. How about this one? The thriller that is Savzilla, baby. Haven't heard that one in a little while, but whew, have we got a lot to get into in this episode. Um, and, you know, I'm actually, I'm going to open up with something really fucking stupid. Um, you, <laughs> you know, I could just complain about tech all the time. And, and honestly, a lot of times on Sovereign Tech, it seems like I do. Like, it seems like there's just nothing good going on. And, you know, it gets worse when just today, so I had this pre-ordered some time ago. Uh, I mean, Sovereign Tech fans know I'm a big fan of Star Trek. I mean, hell, I don't even, uh, like, actually, Ellen and I were talking about it. Like, Star Trek's not even really television. You know, it's just something more. You know, it is just that something extra, right? And I've said this in the past. Uh, in fact, when I've hosted conferences, uh, in fact, I can think of a couple panels where I was hosting panels at a conference and I asked all of the panelists what, you know, a lot of them were activists and others, you know, and I said, I was like, what got you into tech? You know, what got you into like, what, what got you to want your first computer? What got you to this and this? And 90, I'll say 99% of the time, Pretty much every time people would answer guy, gal, Z didn't matter. Didn't matter. Gender. They would answer Star Trek. Or if it wasn't Star Trek, it was some other form of science fiction, but Star Trek would come up pretty much every single time. And what makes it all so sad is that, you know, so anyway, well, I pre-ordered a book. Okay. And it's the Star Trek, the next generation, the USS enterprise NCC one seven Oh one D illustrated handbook by Ben Robinson. Now this is done by a company called Eagle Moss, Eagle Moss or hero collector. Depends on what part of the world you're at. Um, now people know I'm a big fan of like collecting these. It's, it's, it's like the only things I own are these, you know, little, uh, quote unquote model. They're die cast. They're not really models. These little die cast, um, Star Trek starships. I don't get them all only the ones that have any real meaning to me. Um, I'm not a minimalist, but I look like one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but 
recently hero collector has been putting out uh, a books, you know, all these interesting like reference books. And it reminds me of the good old days when I was a kid in the nineties, when you had like the star Trek chronology, the star Trek encyclopedia, you know, I mean, you had tons of these reference books coming out really for all kinds of science fiction franchises as well. You know, star Wars, aliens, all of them. And that's really making a comeback, including for the ones that I just mentioned, both star Wars and aliens and, and plenty of, uh, plenty of others. Fuck. There's like a, power rangers technical manual can you believe that it's fucking awesome in my opinion but can you believe that anyway so i had this pre-ordered for months it was nice came with a little you know ncc 1701d uh die cast ship as well which i would have never bought on its own because while i like the galaxy class i really like the galaxy x class folks we're going to get into real tech don't worry but i think that there's a commentary here on the state of real tech okay um when I, you know, anyway, the, the Galaxy class, you know, you you saw it for seven years. I grew up with it. It's not like the most exciting ship to me. It's not like a very rare ship. Um, so I wouldn't have bought it normally, but it came for free with this book. So Dynamite. And this book is basically, it's it's akin to the Star Trek technical manual that Michael and Denise Okuda uh, originally published way back. Was that like in 92 or 93? I remember when I got that for Christmas, I was like 10, 10 or 11. It was amazing. And I'm flipping through this book earlier and just going, fucking A, why can't I do a tech show about this shit? You know, like, why can't I do a tech show where this is what we're developing? I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, uh, I played some opening audio. I don't think you have any opening audio this week, but there was some opening audio a couple weeks ago from Neil Stevenson, where he had this quote, and it's a brilliant quote. It's one of those quotes that you and I is, is you could call us technophiles, whatever, you know, people or cypherpunks, depending upon what brand we're talking about here. But you and I, you know, who are into this stuff that we should carry with us. And Neil Stevenson said that he watched the greatest minds of his generation work on, no, not, not the Apollo landing, which is celebrating an anniversary here, not rockets, you know, not anything like that. Okay, not, uh, I don't know, geothermal electric plants. They worked on spam filters, for fuck's sake. Spam filters. That's his exact quote. Is that he said, he said I, I, I watched the greatest minds of my generation work on spam filters. And that's what they were doing. And if that doesn't highlight the problem that we've got, in fact, it leads in very nicely to our, to our first bit of business in the foreplay where we cover all of the little stories. I mean, fuck, I'll tell you, like, I, man, I mean, again, I, I just, I look at it. I see it. I'm here in my studio and I look at that book, you know, that, that, that technical manual, the illustrated handbook of the enterprise NCC 1701D that I just mentioned. And I go flipping through that and I'm just like, God damn it. Why aren't we working on that? Why aren't we doing this? And it's not like we weren't trying. You know, I, I remember the, the famous story where uh, Dr. Stephen Hawking, when he was still alive, he was uh, given a tour of the set. This is back when The Next Generation was actually filming. Of course, he was on an episode of it. Uh, he was taking a tour of the set and they got to the engineering room and you see the warp core, you know, with like those those blue, uh, uh, you know, circles, everything going, going up the light. And he just says you know, I, I won't insult his voice or anything, but you know, you can imagine how he said it, but he said, I'm working on that. Why aren't we working on this? It, it 
I would love to open up the show every week and talk about how, man, those new Boussard collectors that we developed, fuck, is that some great shit. That new antimatter reactor from the Dayson, uh, or was it, is it Dayson? Oh, Daystrom. From the Daystrom Institute? That's what it was. From the Daystrom Institute? Fucking awesome. Hell yes. The new, the, the, the M, M3 computer? I mean, wh- wh- why? Why can't, why aren't we already doing that? I mean, I know the answers. Believe me, I know the answers. And it has a lot to do with authoritarian structures, not just government either. Okay, we're going to get more into that. When we get to this week in blockchain, we're going to talk about some of the horseshit that government's claiming when it comes to block, comes to cryptocurrencies specifically. Oh, man. Anyway, but speaking of bullshit software, uh, Microsoft... And, and I, I initially, I was intrigued. Okay, so I don't spend a whole ton of time on social media whatsoever. I have a Twitter account. That's about it. Okay. But Microsoft, like, cleared out a bunch of their social media accounts on Instagram and some others. Like, somehow, I, I mean, I, I guess they have a direct line to God, that being somebody at Facebook HQ. And they basically said, hey, you know, we need you to wipe every post that we've made. And they do that. Now, I'm sure they also have some way to just restore every post that they made after all this horseshit is done. But they do that and they start showing off all these classic ads and a lot of stuff all related to Windows, not Windows 10, Windows 1, Windows 1.0. Now, funny story, uh, with Windows 10, which I have a Windows 10 machine, uh, one of I mean, that's not my main machine, but I do have one. Um, on my Windows 10 machine, in fact, my uh, my co-host, dear brother and dear friend, uh, Robin Freebeard, we both had where you could put on Classic Shell because for a long, I mean, now they've, you know, Microsoft has changed over the years. The start menu in Windows 10, they've taken it up, made it a far cry from the, you know, just the nonsense that it was for Windows 8 and 8.1, even though 8.1 kind of improved it. But the start menu was a pain in the ass. Now... It's starting to look a lot more, no pun intended with the start there, but it's starting to look a lot more like Windows 7 again, which is probably, you know, between XP and 7 going to go down as the greatest versions of Windows ever. Not that Windows 1 was that bad, or 3.1 for that matter. I mean, I grew up with Windows 3.1. That's not the story here. Um, but with you used to be able to put on what was called Classic Shell, which we talked about this on Sovereign Tech, where basically a guy developed, uh, you know, a version of the start menu that would just skin over Microsoft's default start menu in Windows 10, and you could make it look like really whatever you wanted. If you wanted it to look like Windows 95 or Windows 2000 or Windows XP or hell, you could, I think you could even do Vista. Or if you wanted to look like 7, whatever. You could, you could really customize it and do all kinds of cool things. You could even change the little animated start button, which is the, you know, the Windows logo, the Windows icon. Uh, at the bottom and you could put in like a custom one. And so you could put in the windows one, the windows 1.0, little icon. And I know Rob did that. I did that. And I had it that way for a long time until classic shell ended up not getting developed anymore. And then I didn't find it secure to leave that, you know, kind of uh, antiquated code uh, running. It's not that antiquated, but you get my point because the guy, the reason why the guy stopped developing classic shell was because, and I know you can get the shit from Stardock. I'm, I'm, I'm well aware, okay? But the reason he stopped developing is because every time that Microsoft would come out with a new, uh, you know, a new full version of Windows 10, you know, it'd be like the the May 2019 update or whatever, um, he would have to get in some pretty heavy coding 
to make that work with the new update. And it just got to be too much of a pain in the ass. And I'm sure it was. So I don't begrudge him the matter, but I'm not going to leave it on, you know, when it's not being, you know, actively developed anymore. I'm sure there's other ones out there, but regardless, like it was amazing how futuristic. And when you saw this Microsoft's recent little social media push with windows 1.0, which nobody knew, like, what the hell are they doing ever for, for a few weeks or at least a couple weeks, people were asking, like, what the hell's this? And I was watching it, and I'm like, whoa, you know, what What are they planning here? Are they going to, I don't know, I mean, maybe there was going to be some kind of new operating system, or they're going to go back to basics or something like that. It was going to be some kind of major announcement. And a lot of people were, I mean, there was plenty of Windows sites, you know, you, you think of the, go down the gamut of them, Windows Central, whatever, we're all asking, like, well, we don't know what they're doing, but it looks like they're getting ready to, like, relaunch Windows 1.0. Uh, and in fact, when you look at it, it's amazing, A, how all that shit from the 80s looks so much more futuristic and so much cooler than anything that is being natively put out there today. You know, whatever design language or UI is put out there today. The, the Windows 1.0 logo looks wildly futuristic compared to the stupid little, you know, four windows at an angle, uh, you know, icon that we have now or logo that we have now. Um yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot in, in a way, I think, because it shows how backwards and I don't mean backwards as in they're going back to Windows 1.0 backwards as in like bad design that Microsoft has really, you know, uh, taken on as a as, as a as a company language uh, design language, really. And it also shows the farce of most modern software, how really it doesn't look very futuristic at all. In fact, it looks downright odd compared to how amazingly, really, futuristic things used to look, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, in fact, I've brought this up many times, like the sound scheme. Granted, sound schemes in, in, in operating systems aren't really a thing, I don't think, for a lot of people anymore. I mean, I keep mine on silent pretty much all the time anyway, unless I'm going to watch some video or something uh, or, you know, listen to something on Plex. But... Now, the Utopia sound scheme that I think came with Windows 2000, that sounded so futuristic. Your computer literally sounded like something from the future. And, you know, all of this stuff has really just gone away. And, you know, we could talk about what's what that's all about, but that's not the point of this story. Basically, nobody knew what was going on, what Microsoft was promoting. Why, were they going to re-release Windows 1.0, uh, you know, which could have been interesting if that showed up in the Play Store, or not, not in the Play Store, in the, well, it would have been interesting there too, but if it showed up in, you know, the Microsoft Store, in the App Store, whatever. Um, and I mean, because like, it was interesting when that guy put together Windows 95 and you could download that as a 700 meg some odd file or whatever, and, or no, it was larger, it's like 300, something like that. Um, where you could use like Windows 95 within whatever version of Windows you happen to be rocking. And it was an Electron app. And that was really cool. Like we've, we've covered that. And I've actually used it almost as a daily driver for a while at points because I just loved going back to that simple yet futuristic looking. And frankly, it was a design from even back, you know, when Windows 95 came out. Anyway, so it would have been cool if Microsoft was going to be like, yeah, look how far we've come. Here's a version of Windows 1.0 if you want to, you know, try that out and see what that's like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure some coders in my audience, and I know you're out there, uh, you know, developers that have been around for quite a few decades, longer than me, where you're going to say, oh, no, you'd, if you knew what working with Windows 1.0 was like, you wouldn't want it back, Stallion. Well, I'm not saying that I do. I'm just saying it would have been interesting. That would have been at least something kind of fun and, and maybe would have had a point. Instead, 
this whole thing where it looked like on all their social channels, which they wiped completely clean and looked like there was going to be some kind of major announcement for windows as a platform, which at the, that would have been the best thing is that it was just some kind of like back to basics announcement of windows. And maybe like after showing windows 1.0 for a couple weeks, then they'd start showing, I don't know, windows 3.1 for a couple weeks. Then they'd show windows 95 for a couple weeks, you know, until you get to this point where there's this major announcement and they say, look, hell here's here would have been a great announcement guess what we have this long history of closed source from windows 1.0 up we're going to open source the whole goddamn thing now that would have been awesome that would have been an epic fucking moment and would have been worthy of wiping your entire social media fucking feed right there's a million things i'm sure you could think of that you probably thought of that microsoft was and it probably goes around the idea that Microsoft was planning for some kind of major announcement. Well, let's talk about what did happen. Basically, on, I think it was July 9th, July 8th or July 9th, something like that, Microsoft made Windows, what was called Windows 1.11, which I guess, I think Windows 1.1 was the thing. 1.11 was not, but now it is, kind of. They released it in the Microsoft Store, okay, in the App Store there. You could download it. It was about 700 megs. And considering that the original Electron app release of Windows 95 that that independent guy made, uh, that actually flipped Microsoft out, apparently, but that was only 130 meg or something like that. As soon as we knew, as soon as we saw, wait a minute, this is like 700 meg, there's no way that that's just Windows 1.0. And it's not, Okay. It is a game. All this announcement, all the showing off of Windows 1.0 and like making all these. I mean, they had somebody on, you know, like on Twitter and on Instagram who was who were making all of these 80s jokes. Basically, what they did was is they made a game for this Netflix cult shit show. Actually, I watched the first season. I, I think I watched the first couple seasons and, and I thought it was a good show. But I get I don't know. I'm not a hipster. Just when everybody starts talking about something, I feel like there's something wrong. There's something not right because you can't, something can't be of substance and everybody just fucking loves it. Like I, I love Star Wars, but I can admit that it doesn't have substance. The games, the books, the comics, the everything else has substance. The movies, in my opinion, not, not so much. I mean, they're cool, but it's not substance, right? Not, not in the sense of like, it has like some kind of deep message to tell you. I just, I, I don't believe that. So when everybody, you know, jumps on something like that, that you, you, it just, it really can't work that way. You know, uh, I mean, how about, all right, the Fast and the Furious movies that do a billion dollars, who, who the fuck is going to argue that those movies have some kind of like philosophical, brilliant substance to pull from it? No, it's just, you know, they're, they're comic, they're basically comic book movies that are better than actual comic book movies. And they're great. I love the Fast and the Furious series, but I recognize them for the popcorn stupidity that they are. And I say that with respect because they do it so goddamn well. So whatever, I'm not interested in Stranger Things season three. I couldn't care less. So granted, I mean, I'm coming from that bias, but then this whole big announcement, all the secretive shit that Microsoft was doing that might've been exciting. So Microsoft fanboys just turned out to be a, you know, basically a video game. And it did some interesting things where you would download it. It would boot up like it was Microsoft 1.0, but then like the screen, cause normally the boot screen for Microsoft 1.0 was uh, blue. It was a blue screen, not the blue screen of death. Not yet. It was blue. And it had like the white lettering that said Microsoft and all this, blah, blah. 
and I guess like as soon as you'd boot it up, it would go to that, but then it would it would shift to where it went to like black and red, and it was the um, what, whatever they called it in, in Stranger Things, the underside or, or whatever that is, you know, the the, the flip side of, of reality where everything's dark, right? Um, it did that, and I guess I read some reviews for the game. Apparently, it was pretty clever. Uh, you basically have to play the game like you are on a computer using a you know a Windows one point well in this case Windows one point one one version of the computer and all that. And hey, you know what? Great. Okay, fine. You had a fun game. Somehow, maybe that gave you some deeper meaning as to what is going on in the show. I highly doubt that. Maybe it's just something you thought that was fun. Whatever. Look, you know, there were clearly a shit ton of resources. Uh, that were, you know, put to task from within Microsoft to work on this game, to make this a thing, and also the social media uh, aspect of it, right? I mean, this is a full-on version of, I mean, like, it has paint in it, uh, it has uh, write, you know, the original command prompt, I mean, all that stuff's there, and I see this. And I'm just like, you put, you know, we're we're dealing with zero days on the regular with Microsoft. We're dealing with update problems to no end. I'm starting to get like blue screens of death on my Windows 10 machine, which I've never had for as long as I've had it. You've got all these problems and you are wasting an iota of time. I mean, it's one thing if it's your Xbox division, because that's like practically a separate other company and they're meant to work on games and that has its own industry and all this but you're wasting any, any resources at Microsoft on having fucking people build a fucking video game. I mean, if it was a nostalgia trip that maybe it was like to, to try and like, like teach people something or, or whatever, or show how far windows came again, the best thing they could have done was like, have it be some kind of major announcement. But I think this just, in my opinion, this totally fell flat. I have a very hard time believing that a bunch of people got excited about this. I'd love to see the install numbers, the real install numbers, not the inflated ones that Microsoft puts out there. Um, But for them to waste any time on this, when there are so many fucking issues going on with Windows 10, I think it's a goddamn insult. And it's ridiculous for a company, okay, especially one that works, you know, in the enterprise space and that, that so many computers are relying upon. And it is a zero-sum game, in my opinion. I don't mean the game that is the Stranger Things version of Windows 1, okay? I mean the game of life, all right, or the game of cybersecurity. It is a zero-sum game, okay? <laughs> like, like the less people you have with eyes on this shit, the worse off things can get. And we know Microsoft has blindly missed so many things. Well, is it because they were too busy working on this dumb-ass uh, uh, tie-in with strange, I mean, what, what were they expect with Stranger Things? Were they expecting like, oh wow, Microsoft is so cool. They made a Stranger Things game, and we love Stranger Things, you know, because that's what everybody watches. So we do that. Whoa, maybe everybody uses Microsoft Windows. We should all. And and what what did they think they were going to get some Mac users to switch over to 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 Windows? You're not going to get any Linux users to do that. What the fuck were you thinking? Or, or were, you, were you thinking that, I don't know, Android users be like, oh man, I just got done watching Stranger Things on my five inch TV because, you know, you can really take an artwork like that. Okay. I just got done doing that. And wow. But I heard about this game that that's, it's a version of windows and everybody says it's really fucking great. I'm going to go out and buy a windows laptop, even though I've been going through most of my life, just using an Android. I mean, what, what were they thinking? Why tie into this? Do, what, do you think you're going to be hip? 
You know what being hip is in the 21st century, Microsoft? Being hip is crushing bugs and exploits and security holes in your fucking software. That's hip. That's cool. You don't, you think I'm kidding? No, because you know what? Actually, a lot of kids that are growing up today, like they understand, I mean, which has been true for 20 years, they understand computers far better than the previous generation, okay? And they want their shit to fucking work. I want, I don't want my shit blue screening a death. And it's not my RAM, it's not my hard drive or anything. I think it's your fucking software. Ridiculous. This was so stupid. And like to, to play that dumb ass social media, not again, not the Stranger Things game, but to play that game where like you're, you know, you're teasing with everybody. I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm baffled. I'm baffled. You know, if you want to impress millennials, make shit that just works. And guess what? Microsoft Windows 10 does not just work at all. Okay. So jump on that shit. Fuck. Now that I'm done with that screed, well, how about this? Uh, you know, I, I make it a point because, you know, one of the criticisms is, is that when you start complaining about something, oh, you're complaining about Microsoft, why don't you stop complaining and actually do something about it? Okay, if you're so goddamn inspired to go out and buy a laptop or something because of, uh, because of the Stranger Things game, which, fuck that show. In fact, you know what? Johnny, Johnny, give me, a, give me some scripts. I want, I want scripts. Yeah, on paper. They still do that. They don't hand out iPads on set. Are you kidding? I want scripts for Stranger Things Season 3, and I want the scripts for every season of Game of Thrones because I'm out of toilet paper, goddammit, and I want to wipe my ass with something worthwhile. Something that, that is worthy of getting shit smeared all over it. Both of those shows. Thank you. Yeah, just put it in the bathroom. All right. Thanks, Johnny. So, okay, continuing on. <laughs> so... I don't just complain. I'll give you a solution. Instead of buying a Windows laptop, try this one on for size. We've uh, we've previewed this actually for a little while, and now we have a date of when you can order this. We are talking about the Pinebook Pro. Now, if you remember the Zomi One Underground, um, I did a bit of a review. Actually, I might have done it on a full-on episode, but regardless, I've done a review of the original Pinebook, which is basically taking a Raspberry Pi-esque uh, uh, board, you know, SOC board, right? And that is... You know, but instead it's it's the Pine 64 instead of the Raspberry Pi. Um, but anyway, they'd slap that into a laptop body, and that did so well and had such high demand. Um, and I love my little Pine book, but that did so well. Now they've decided the company that made it they're going to come out with what they call the Pine Book Pro, which is an entirely open source hardware and software laptop that runs for under two hundred dollars. It's only one ninety nine for this baby. And there's some really cool things. First off is that they are, we now have a pre-order date for it. They said it was going to be coming out in 2019, probably later in the year, but now you can pre-order it. I think it's July 25th is the pre-order date. You got to be signed up on their forums. And I guess if you were signed up before this announcement hit, you're going to get first dibs, whatever, that's fine. Um, but the more interesting thing about this computer, again, we're talking about a computer that has, um, it's got a 14 inch 1080p IPS display. That's pretty nice. Uh, it's got a rock chip RK3399 in it. Okay. You know, I mean, not, not a powerhouse, but it could be a little bit of a workhouse workhorse. It's designed to be a daily driver Four gig of Ram, uh, it has a 64 gig, uh, EMMC on, but I think that they said they're going to have, have an adapter where you could put like M.2 stuff onto it, which, Hey, dynamite. Um, it's going to have 
plenty of ports, you know, USB Type-C, 3.0, 2.0, has a micro SD card slot, uh, 802.11ac for Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 5, which that was an update. The whole thing's going to be made of a magnesium alloy, so this isn't really going to be a plastic thing. Uh, pretty good battery in it, but now the more interesting thing about it is they are putting on, as I understand it, and we'll see what the final product looks like, but this is a major selling point, regardless of the $200 price tag or, you know, the open source hardware or whatever. And, you know, and basically this thing's ability to run, you know, just about any operating system you throw at it, which is not always possible these days. Uh, but the beauty is, are the privacy switches. And this is something akin to what used to be on uh, ThinkPads, you know, back in the day, where you had a hardware switch that could cut off the Wi-Fi. Or in this case, could also cut off perhaps the Bluetooth or it could cut off whatever different antennas. Uh, maybe it'll be a switch that could also cut off the microphone and could cut off the camera, all of which I would agree with. So they're putting they're building in these privacy switches into this little laptop. And I think, again, where, where I really want to see it, is it just a soft switch or is it an actual hard switch that literally cuts off the line, you know, to that and. If it's a hard switch, that's awesome. Even if it's a soft switch, that's still pretty cool. Okay, to where it tells the board, no, turn that off. So we'll see what this ends up looking like. But this is the Pinebook Pro. You want to get a laptop? Here's a winner for you. Okay, one that respects your privacy. One that, well, where the developers are putting their, you know, blood, sweat, and tears into this instead of into some fucking Stranger Things game, you know, and, 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 fucking around with everybody's heads over like you thought Microsoft is going to do something interesting and get it again or instead it's boring as fuck uh, but check it out I'll put a link in the show notes where you can it's from OMG Ubuntu which I, I read that blog regularly and you can you can get your link and you know find your way to get that on again July 25th is when the pre-orders go live um, and yeah only 200 bucks fuck why not everybody should have one of these damn things and i'm i'm intrigued i want to get my hands on one eventually and i am i imagine i'll be kind of behind the line on some of that but i am intrigued to see just how well this does work as a daily driver and then maybe we'll get a pinebook pro 2 in the future i'm fully supportive of that so v probably one of the most interesting announcements as far as linux hardware of any type goes uh is really this pinebook pro so jump on it anyway um i had a bunch of other stuff to get into uh, during the uh, you know during the, the foreplay here, but we're going to jump into our opening story right now, and then we've got plenty of other things to to talk about. But before we do, you know, if that Pinebook Pro announcement and upcoming release doesn't get you hard, and you know what I mean, down there, if that doesn't get you going, if that doesn't make you one stiff rot, I got something that should hook you up, and that is Bluetooth. Sovereign Tech Sponsor, BlueChew.com. I want you to check this out. It's just like the color blue because, well, it's blue. Uh, BlueChew, this is the first chewable that has the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You want to go to BlueChew.com, all right? Now, I'll tell you, I've been using this. Here's the thing. This isn't for, you know, maybe you're getting up there in the years. I mean, Stallion's 38, you know, but maybe you're getting up there in the years and things aren't uh, happening as fast or as ready as they used to. Okay. It can, you know, it, it could help you out with that, but maybe, maybe you're, you know, middle-aged or, you know, maybe you're a younger guy like me, I, I guess 38's young now, right? 30s, the new twenties, I don't know, whatever. And maybe you just want to enhance that performance. Well, that's the deal is blue chew can not only help out with other problems, but 
it can actually just be there. You can use it to enhance your bedroom experience. And let me tell you, in fact, at some point I'll have her on to talk about it. <laughs> Has it been an enhanced experience in the household? <laughs> when I say, you know, Ellen, get in the bed, it is on with Blue Chew, baby. So you want to try this out, take it from me. You're going to love it. Okay. Bluechew.com. But here's the deal. Okay, you can get right now, we've got a special deal just for Sovereign Tech listeners. Okay, if you visit bluechew.com, you're going to get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code TECH. All you're going to do is pay $5 in shipping. Okay, but use that promo code TECH, T E C H. All right, again, that's bluechew.com, B L U E CHEW.com, because it's a chewable. Bluechew.com, use that promo code TECH and get your first for free. And if you want to go ahead and email me, I've already had people messaging me that have tried this out. You send me an email, bbs at sovereigntech.com, or you get in touch with me on Twitter and you tell me how Blue Chew has rocked your world in the bedroom, baby, or hell, you could be outside. You do it like Stallion does where I like to go by the trees and have a good time. (laughs) And I'm not alone. (laughs) You know, or you go, you hop in the back of the car, you go wherever you got to go and you make it happen. Okay. In fact, I was just... (laughs) And you could say you might need some Bluetooth for this. I was just catching a little river band. <laughs> I should have bought Bluetooth for everybody. <laughs> little river band. <laughs> but I was a little river band. And then, you know, you hit the hotel that night and, whoo, Bluetooth was on. Stallion was on. It was happening. So, Bluetooth.com, check it out. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Um, okay, now, to get in our, into our main story, this is one that I kind of uh, sat on for a couple weeks. And. I'm kind of glad I did because I think there would have been some bragging rights involved for a certain site of the internet that wasn't affected by this. But um, I'm going to read it here from, from TechCrunch, And this story is just a little, just about a week old. Uh, it was, and here, here's the headline. It was a really bad month for the internet. Now I'm going to tell you what the site was that might've had some bragging rights that come to find out. No, no, they didn't deserve any bragging rights as of like last Thursday. So here we go. If these past few weeks, course we're in 2019 felt like the sky was falling you weren't alone in the past month there were several major internet outages affecting millions of users across the world sites buckled services broke images wouldn't load direct messages ground to a halt and calendars and email were unavailable for hours at a time and no kidding stallion breaking it i mean we're talking gmail your Google Calendar was down, Drive was down. I mean, shit was going crazy. Here we go. It's not believed any single event tied the outages together, more so just terrible luck for all involved. It started on June 2nd, a quiet Sunday when most weren't working. A massive Google Cloud outage took out service for most on the U.S. East Coast. Many third-party sites like Discord, Snap, and Vimeo, uh, as well as several of Google's own services like Gmail and Nest, were affected. A routine but faulty configuration change was to blame. This is a stallion breaking. This was at Cloudflare. It's crazy. Anyway, the issue was meant to be uh, isolated to a few systems, but a bug caused the issue to cascade throughout Google servers, causing gridlock across its entire cloud for more than three hours. Now, here's where the Cloudflare part comes in. Okay, on June 24th, Cloudflare dropped 15% of its global traffic during an hours-long outage because of a network route leak. The networking giant quickly blamed Verizon 
TechCrunch's parent company. I'm glad they mentioned that for the Fuster Cluck. <laughs> the Fuster Cluck. That's a great word. Clusterfuck, folks. Come on. Uh, because, but I, they actually typed it out, Fuster Cluck, which is great. Uh, because of inherent flaws in the border gateway protocol, which manages how internet traffic is routed on the internet, Verizon effectively routed an entire freeway down a down a neighborhood street. That's a, an analogy for it, uh, said Cloudflare in its postmortem blog post. Quote: This should never have happened because Verizon should never have forwarded those routes to the rest of the internet. End quote. Basically, the bulk of the internet, what happened here is the bulk of the internet was like running through this one server in like Pennsylvania. That's exactly what happened. Okay. Now, continuing on, a week later, on July 2nd, Cloudflare, Cloudflare was hit by a second outage, this time caused by an internal code push that went badly. They're updating shit and it just went to shit. In a blog post, Cloudflare's chief technology officer, John Grant, John Graham Cunning blamed the half-hour outage on a rogue bit of regex code in its web firewall designed to prevent its customer sites from causing or from causes uh processors to spike across its machines worldwide, effectively crippling the entire service and any site reliant on it. The code rollback was swift, however, and the internet quickly returned to normal. Uh, Google not wanting to outdo Cloudflare was hit by another outage on July 2nd, thanks to physical damage to a fiber cable in its U.S. East Coast region. We're talking about one of the big boys, one of the big fiber cables. Okay, not just some, you know, RJ45 or something like that, right? Uh, the, the or, you know, some Cat5 cable somewhere. The disruption uh, lasted for about six hours, though Google says most of the disruption was mitigated by routing traffic through its other data centers. Then it gets worse. Then Facebook and its entire portfolio of services, including WhatsApp and Instagram, stumbled along for eight hours during July 3rd as its shared content delivery network was hit by downtime. Facebook took to Twitter. The irony. <laughs> Facebook was posting on Twitter to give everybody updates, right? Uh, no less, you know, or posted a, Facebook took to Twitter, no less, to confirm the outage. Images and videos across the service uh, wouldn't load, leaving behind only the creepy machine learning generated descriptions of each photo. Um, now, this was one where I noticed this. Okay, so I do have, like, I have an Instagram account. I don't use Instagram at all. Um, but there are a couple people who I do. And in fact, generally I like to do it without logging in. Okay. Like I just go to their, you know, the web address of their Instagram account, like say the rock or people like this. And I go there and I look and what you see is, is you see all these little squares, you know, how Instagram is set up. Okay. You see all these little squares and because Facebook was down, servers were going slow and everything. Some pictures would load, but then others, what they would do is, is it would just have text at the top. You'd have like that broken image link that you see on sites where maybe they haven't been updated in forever or like, you know, whatever they had stored on WordPress isn't there anymore. Um, and it, it said image may contain, and it'll say something like one will say image may contain one or more people image may contain a, I mean, it sometimes it was really specific. Like it'll contain, uh, I don't know, a giraffe or this, or image may contain drink or image may contain uh, indoor and all this. I mean, it was really like you looked at that and you go, holy shit, that is Instagram's machine learning algorithm identifying what is in these pictures that get uploaded. Now, I mean, it makes sense and it shouldn't be a shock to anybody that it could do that. But I think people, I mean, this is very much pulling the curtain and seeing the wizard. Like, wow, they know everything that's in my pictures and they're storing that and they don't even have to have employees look at it. That's just their machine learning doing it. The point I'm going to get to with all this, there's more, but the point I'm going to get to with all of this is that it was an event over the past few weeks where 
I think everybody got to see just how concerning and perhaps flawed the interconnected world that we live in is. Okay, so let me read on a little bit. At about the same time, Twitter, too, had to had to face the music, admitting in a tweet that direct messages were broken. Some complained of ghost messages that weren't there. Some weren't getting notified of new messages at all. Then came Apple's turn. On July 4th, iCloud was hit by a three hour nationwide outage affecting almost every part of its cloud based service from the App Store, Apple ID, Apple Pay and Apple TV. In some cases, users couldn't access their cloud based email or photos. According to uh, Internet monitoring firm Thousand Eyes, that doesn't sound creepy. The cause of the outage was yet another border gateway protocol issue, similar to Cloudflare's uh, scuffle with Verizon. It was a rough month for a lot of people, points to, uh, points to Cloudflare and Google for explaining what happened and why. Less so to Apple, Facebook, and Twitter, all of which barely acknowledged the issues. Uh, what can we learn? For one, internet providers need to do better with routing filters. And secondly, perhaps it's not a good idea to run new code directly on a production system. So they're bringing that point up, but I think it goes much deeper. Also, after this story was posted, Twitter was hit with a major outage where you couldn't see tweets. It wasn't just direct messages affected. Uh, Twitter basically fell prey to what was happening to Facebook and all of Facebook services the previous week. And this should be a lesson to all. This is the nature of centralized systems is that it doesn't take much. And, you know, all the dominoes start to fall over. Now, some of these situations were very easy to fix. Uh, should have, should there be like better best practices involved in the matter? Of course. Uh, you know, like, especially when you're pushing updates at Cloudflare. Okay. But I can't understate, you know, we talked about there's, this is in my opinion, even though it is a matter of over months. Okay. I call it the second day that the internet died. The first day that the internet died started on, uh, it was October 20th, 2016. And that had to do with internet of things devices. Um, which by the way, Steve Gibson, my hero, uh, host of the security now podcast, he even now he calls it, um, not internet of things. Of course, you know, there was another term we used to use, which is internet of target uh, or internet of targets. But now he says his, he calls it, he calls IOTs as it's injection of Trojans. And I think that's so true. Uh, and it certainly was on October 20th, 2016, when it was basically the Mirai botnet. It was all these IOT devices that created a massive DDoS attack that knocked out the internet in huge swaths of Europe, America, uh, and so on. Okay. That had its own scary implications. Now, as far as we, you know, nothing like that happened in the second day that the internet died. And as far as what date that is, I mean, really, you can just say summer of 2019, uh, I think is really the way to label it. Okay. But that came from really where the complexity of the interconnected world, the complexity of the internet. Okay. And Remember the old adage, okay, complexity is the enemy of security, but the complexity of it, the intricacies of it, that really no one person, and I'm not saying there's ever going to be a communications technology that ever exists or a network that ever exists where one person can really have all knowledge of what's going on, but just the interdependent nature of everybody engaging in best practices and being on the up and up with all of this. I mean, it just shows that we're not there and it shows the inherent flaw of, I mean, I would say the biggest issue that it brings to light really 
is the concern of centralized systems, of centralized networks, as to where if we were communicating via peer-to-peer networks when all this happened, it wouldn't have affected everybody. Okay, right? Because, I mean, you couldn't, this problem likely wouldn't jump across distributed systems, okay, and distributed networks. The other thing that I think it highlights is, wow, you know, if you were reliant, especially with the Google outages, if you were reliant upon Google Docs, right, or anything like that, I mean, you were fucked, or Google Calendar, or anything like that, get... I mean, look, none of this, none of what went wrong was a problem with your computer, was a problem with your operating system. None of it was that. Okay, this is to- these are totally network issues. And if your workflow wasn't so reliant upon cloud services, I mean, email, you know, SMTP, when that's fucked, it's fucked. Okay, there's not a whole lot you can really do about that part of things. Okay, but when your workflow, say you got to type out this new report or you got to do all this stuff, when that is reliant upon cloud services, I mean, you're screwed. I know I was talking to clients who were flipping the fuck out, you know, and they basically, I mean, they, they told people to take a few hours off because they couldn't even access their shit as to where if they were just, you know, if they had local copies of their reports and it's not like you can't back that stuff up, you can do the hybrid solution where, you know, you're, you have your whatever documents on your local machine, on your host machine. Right. And, but then it automatically, you know, syncs up and backs up with another folder. Okay, so it's not like you have to worry about, yeah, but then if I just keep everything local, what if the computer dies, then I'm really screwed. Well, no, there's solutions around that that are far better than relying upon Apple or anyone else that isn't going to be very uh, transparent about what's going on with their services. But I th- this hits at, for me, something that I think is very important, which is you want to re- and we've been hitting on this all year in 2019, because this isn't the first time this kind of horseshit's happened. You want to work on either A getting involved with peer-to-peer networks, peer-to-peer networking, blockchain, all that, or B, or both, start relocalizing your data. I mean, and and even, like, even Discord, and I mean, some things that you thought maybe were a little more peer-to-peer, even they were affected, okay? And you found out, you know, that, well, you know, you saw the sausage, how it was made, like, oh, no, they're actually not. Um, I mean, there, there was so much went wrong, and people were just freaking out, and again, business was stopping. And I'm kind of reminded of, uh, you know, we were talking about Star Trek earlier. I'm kind of reminded of a quote from Gene Roddenberry, kind of basically a whole story he was telling. And this is back, you know, in the seventies when he was saying, you know, all it takes is for somebody to cut off the water supply to a town. And that town is just going to fall into chaos. Not the good kind of chaos either. And I don't think that's an unfair assessment to make. And I'll tell you that, you know, the internet has become the modern version of that where you cut that off and business just instantly stops. And there, and I can say this personally from what I, you know, what I've uh, researched, what I've read about and from clients I deal with myself that their workflow, I mean, it is over, it is done. They are screwed and they have no backups processes for this, no backup workflows whatsoever. You're going to want to pay attention to this. This is, I mean, Fortunately, this ended up getting solved and they ended up being, you know, kind of somewhat isolated incidents, but it wouldn't be hard for it to not be isolated or for another, you know, for the Mirai botnet, you know, to something like that or it itself to strike again and to really wipe the shit out, start getting these processes in place and you can do them. Look, every operating system, fuck, 
you know, install LibreOffice or something. That's completely offline. Okay, and, and you know, have some kind of cloud backup for, for your documents and everything like that. There's ways to do this. Or as I've been recommending on Sovereign Tech for years now, get a NAS that's on your own network. Okay, and that NAS can, you know, you could just work off of that. But even if the internet goes, okay, even if the big bad internet, as we like to call it, goes, you still have access to your NAS. And you can still use the office software, say like from Synology, on your NAS. And you're, you're still going. You're still live and kicking. But you got to relocalize to where the fate of your company, the fate of your data is not in the hands of the tech giants, because some of them will try and get the shit fixed quick. Others will pretend like nothing is happening and you're left out in the cold and fuck them. Fuck them for that. So anyway, we'll be right back with some more Sovereign Tech. The second, the summer, how about we call it that? The summer the Internet died. Ooh, preview of things to come. It's like watching a movie. Anyway, I'll be right back with more. Hey, if you have a project that needs reliable cryptocurrency data, check out blocktap.io. Blocktap.io is a universal cryptocurrency API. You can get historical prices for Bitcoin and other digital assets that you can use to build charts and do market analysis. Blockchain data is also indexed, so you can get transaction statistics, address balances, and more for Bitcoin and other networks. Blocktap.io is free for personal use, and you don't even need to create an account to access the API. To get started, try some of the example queries on the homepage at blocktap.io. Again, that's B-L-O-C-K-T-A-P.io, blocktap.io, and we thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Woo, let's get back to the show. In 2014, he ran from Miami to San Francisco, raising awareness for Bitcoin and the homeless epidemic in America. And now he's doing it again. Blockchain evangelist and advocate for homeless rights, Jason King, is running across North America right now, from Miami to Santa Monica, right now. Five years later, his commitment to promoting blockchain technology and fighting the homeless epidemic in America is stronger than ever. And you can help Jason now by going to blockchainacrossamerica.com. While you're there, donate to Satoshi Forest Sanctuary Incorporated to help the homeless, along with all kinds of other ways you can help. Get involved today. BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. That's BlockchainAcrossAmerica.com. This week in Blockchain... It is time for This Week in Blockchain, where we cover uh, Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrencies of all stripes, and we talk it all. And I'm not the only one uh, that's talking this stuff up. In fact, just recently, uh, this being July 11th, 2019, uh, so what some people call the most powerful man alive was talking up Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that being Donald J. Chump. Uh, sorry, Trump. Wait, he's the president? Johnny, he's the president, the real estate guy that like tried to kill all the homeless. Wow. All right. No, <laughs> he really did. Uh, <laughs> grow up in New York City. Talk to anybody that was alive in New York City in the late 80s. And I mean, basically, Chump and Rudy Giuliani, like nobody likes these people. I know as somebody from New York City. I know the score. Anyway, whatever. So. Uh, President Trump, as he is wont to do, and really I don't think he should, um, he made a tweet, very incendiary one, 
had a lot got a lot of people in the blockchain space uh, sweating uh, right now. In fact, as of this recording, which is in mid July 2019, not long after this tweet. Uh, a lot of people are saying that the Bitcoin price drop, which had a pretty a multiple percentage precipitous drop, was due to the fact of what President Trump tweeted. So why don't we read the tweet and then let's talk about it. I am not, here it is, quote, I am not a fan of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which are not money and whose value is highly volatile and based on thin air. Unregulated crypto assets can facilitate unlawful behavior. <gasps> including drug trade and other illegal activity. Uh, and that uh, he actually, he does go on. Let me, let me, let, let's read his whole thing. Cause I don't think everybody read the whole thing here. Let's keep going. Similarly, Facebook's Libra virtual currency will have little standing or dependability. If Facebook and other companies want to become a bank, they must seek a new banking charter and become subject to all banking regulations, just like other banks, both national and international. We have only one real currency in the USA, and it is stronger than ever, both dependable and reliable. It is by far the most dominant currency anywhere in the world, and it will always stay that way. It is called the United States dollar. Now, I'm not going to necessarily disagree with that last point. Of course, the reason that it is strong, not because of a powerful economy in the United States, it is strong and dominant because it is based on dominance. It is based on nuclear weapons. That is, it. it what's the old saying in, in, the, in the Bitcoin space? right that the u.s dollar is uh, you know bitcoin is proof of work the u.s dollar is proof of violence it's exactly what it is for him to defend the u.s dollar is insulting i mean and, and to somehow say like it's some great goddamn thing yeah right i mean you have half the world that's trying to get off of it anyway in trying to base a currency i mean you know russia's working on this and others trying to base the currency on you know more resources uh, and, and so on. But that's a whole other conversation. We could spend an entire episode talking about the economics around that. But let's break this down. OK, what he had to say. First off, this is ridiculous. This is fucking asinine and stupid. And talk about, you know, you're, you're concerned about the lack of knowledge and best practices that caused that has caused various Internet services to go down, various networks to go down throughout the summer of 2019. And it's true. Okay, we just talked about all of them. Um, how ridiculous is it that clearly President Trump has no understanding of the network effect or even how networks work and the fact that cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin, their value, it is not out of thin air. It is because Bitcoin is not just money. It is also the money transmitter. It is the money and transmitter at the same time. It is for, in his words, it's the U.S. dollar and PayPal in one technology inseparable it is one and because of that it's inherent it's it's uh its value is based on that network it is based on the fact that it can transmit itself that's its intrinsic value which the gold bugs used to always get wrong years ago too when they were ripping on bitcoin i know i was there and i argued with them in fact i have a classic talk that i gave at a conference which is uh is is bitcoin more real than gold and I actually argued that, yes, it is. But regardless of that, clearly, President Trump has very little understanding of technology at all. And this guy has his finger, A, on the trigger of those very nukes, B, and look, folks, more or less, yes, he does. And B, he is, you know, has executive powers over whatever kind of regulation that would be put out there on these varying technologies. That should terrify the fuck out of anyone when even in his little tweet, 
he clearly doesn't understand how these things work and the very nature of cryptocurrencies. Now, I mean, I could get into a whole side thing about how, holy shit, you know, I mean, this guy is basically laying out, you know, President Trump on the regular, on Twitter, which is a limited communication platform, limited in that, I mean, he had to make his full point in three tweets. It's limited in the amount of, in the amount of characters that you can use, which immediately gives your brain a certain sense of brevity, which look folks, I mean, I don't want any kind of government policies whatsoever, but for fuck's sake, he is making foreign and domestic policy on a piss poor communication platform, a communication platform that does not allow for intricacies that does not allow for a lot of explanation and a lot of breadth of understanding. And it doesn't. In fact, it frankly foments hate. And yes, it does. And I think part of that comes from the the lack of, uh, uh, well, like I said, intricacies. I mean, the lack of, of, of precision in language that it allows for. So, I mean, he shouldn't even be like saying these kind like uh, government officials shouldn't even have a Twitter account. No, they should not. You should not engage with them on Twitter. They should not engage with you on Twitter. What they say should not have bearing upon the, you know, on, on bearing on the local or world stage in any way. And yet it does. Now. My greatest hope is that a lot of uh, more leftist types uh, now suddenly embrace Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies because, you know, a lot of times they just do the opposite of whatever Republican happens to be in office. So welcome leftists, you know, to, I mean, I know a lot of you are already here, but welcome to the cryptocurrency fold. Uh, it is a good time where real freedom can be had and where solutions to things like happened throughout the summer of 2019, where a lot of centralized networks were going out, uh, can be resolved. And that's part of what makes all of this worse is that the peer-to-peer future, the peer-to-peer revolution that is going on, and it is, is largely being, A, funded, you know, and B, spearheaded by the developments in Bitcoin especially, but also in varying other cryptocurrencies that are showing people the value in these distributed technologies. And for someone to try and put the kibosh on those, okay, and to try and regulate that, without having any understanding and we and yet look even the people even the developers okay that work on bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies they don't even understand exactly where things are going to go nobody i mean i think people had very different ideas of bitcoin being something other than digital gold but that's basically what it has what it's turned into at least for now it could morph into something else as lightning network comes on and other things just like you know zcash can turn into other things you go down the list of them We don't know where all of this is going to lead. And to some degree, you know, the market's going to speak on that to some degree. That doesn't mean the market is the Delphic goddamned Oracle, but to some degree it's going to, but it has, we have to allow it to get there. We have to experiment. And yet we have guys with their fingers on the trigger because as president Barack Obama, I mean, look, I, I don't care for any politician whatsoever. Don't think I'm taking sides here. I'm not. Okay. Because I mean, I'm just going to say that Obama was honest when he said that government is the monopoly use of force or the monopoly use of violence. It's exactly what government is. At the end of the day, when you get it right down to brass tacks, it's what it is. And you got the guy, okay, who has, you know, very real control over that monopoly use of force telling you that because you're into Bitcoin, maybe you've done very well with Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrencies that you jumped on board with, or you have some amazing ideas of how we could even restructure 
Okay, uh, a lot of the legacy institutions that we're used to dealing with throughout, say, the 20th century or even before because of blockchain or how you could make the, you know, these interconnected systems, uh, you know, like, I mean, something beyond the Internet where it's more of a peer to peer network where you have a great idea for that to keep things like what's been happening throughout the summer of 2019 happening. Guess what? President Trump just told you no. I mean, hey, do I agree with him that Facebook is a problem? Sure. Do I think Facebook has to go through the banking cartels and all this other crap? I'm not going to go that far. But, I mean, you better believe that (laughs) people's fears around what Facebook is trying to do, uh, I think, are justified. And I think they're seeing the same thing I'm seeing, just their solutions suck. Okay, but they're seeing that Facebook is, if, you know, we talked about this, Mark Zuckerberg, for Trump to like to go after Facebook specifically, I think is, is very, very calculated. Okay, because... Um, Facebook, you know, or I, I've said, and I'm not the only one, a lot of people were talking about this, and there's plenty of evidence for it, that Zuckerberg was planning on running for at least political office, if not the presidency, because he'd be just old enough to do it in 2020. Now, he's been getting a smear can, or I mean, he's been getting smeared. I mean, fuck Facebook and Zuckerberg. I, I, I don't care for any of them. Okay, but I think that a lot of the like releases of what Facebook's been up to over the past year and a half, okay, a lot, you know, Cambridge Analytica and so on is really a smear campaign, probably by different parts of the state that don't want Zuckerberg getting involved. So what's Zuckerberg doing? He's end running everybody, just like really Bitcoin already did, and it's just on its slow build, okay, but he's end running the entire political system by just becoming the money. He's becoming the globe, you know, the globe's money which makes, you know, and if it becomes big enough, if he's allowed to, makes most other governments, I mean, their power becomes meaningless when he's the guy holding the keys to all of the wealth in the world, whether it's in his hands or at the very least he has control over that wealth, that being his his digital currency, okay, that being the Libra. So, I mean, maybe this is kind of a first strike by Trump to, you know, by the state to try and put a stop. This might be more, I could believe it, where this is more directed at they want to put a stop to Facebook's Libra and they have to basically throw out the, ba- the baby with the bathwater. Like they have to attack all cryptocurrencies, okay, if they're, to make the argument against Libra. And maybe that's, that's where they're going. And that's why I thought it was so funny. It killed me when people were saying that Libra was good for crypto, you know, and for Bitcoin and for cryptocurrencies in general and blockchains in general. The fuck it is. Not at all, because the state doesn't want Facebook, you know, having or Zuckerberg having this kind of control and having this kind of power. They're going to try and I mean, fortunately, with, you know, unlike Libra, Bitcoin and, it, you know, and its brethren are genuinely peer to peer. And that's not a problem. Okay, so like because you can't really shut it down. Even if you shut down the Internet, you're, you're really not shutting down Bitcoin. There's alternatives. You can run mesh networks. You can do all kinds of things. I mean, that's the beauty of these technologies, right? So, but to say that somehow is going to be inherently good. Oh, no, 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 no. You're way off base. If you thought that this would only be a good thing, not at all. This is either a, it's going to get people on board with a very centralized version of what Bitcoin was trying to be, or B it's going to have all the governments. Okay. 
squaring, you know, against every cryptocurrency when maybe there was actual like inroads being made with just about everybody else said, no, you know, ultimately this is going to make your lives easier because you're not going to have bank runs in Greece and you're not going to have, um, you know, when we talk about using uh, uh, blockchain even beyond uh, currencies, which, you know, that's a thing, um, you know, you create messaging systems and all these other things that could work even if the internet goes down, blah, blah, blah. All of that's getting trying to get quashed, and it's getting quashed by this asshat in Washington, D.C. So all of that said, don't really fear, because if you're already on board or if just now after hearing this, okay, these are subjects that we've covered over the years, but maybe we needed a little bit of a refresher, a reminder of why it's so important, why we're into the technologies that we're into on Sovereign Tech and that we promote. Okay, all of that said, don't fear too much. Because if you're on it already, or if you're jumping on these things now, crypto, all kinds of crypto, and whatever, and I don't just mean cryptocurrency, you're ahead of the curve, and you are ahead and falling, and you're getting away from all of the problems that we talked about in this episode. So be excited. Don't be afraid. Know that this is going on out there, but be excited that you're ahead of the curve, and that, you know, if this shit ever hits the fan, you're already on top of it and it's not going to phase you. So that's it for this week's episode of Sovereign Tech. Uh, we have, there's going to be a bunch of Sovereign Techs coming out because I got a little makeup to do, uh, but we got more Sovereign Tech coming out for you actually this week. So you're going to get more. We got a lot of stories to cover, including we're going to have a big discussion about smartphones, which we haven't had in a while uh, because somebody out there said something pretty interesting about them. So get ready for that and a whole lot more to discuss. I will see all of you on the other side. Make sure if you want to hear more of this content, you join the Zomia One Underground. Go to Zomia1.com. Hey, Zomia1.com. Get your hookup and you get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out, Zomia1.com. Just look on the left-hand side, bring out that sidebar, and you'll see where you can sign up. That's it for this week's episode. Again, woo, I will see all of you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to The Evolution. Can you get enough of the mana tomorrow? I didn't think so. Well, now you're going to get even more, along with some of the hottest hosts and podcasts around, because now Sovereign Tech has become an entire network. Zomia One 
the most rebellious podcast network in the galaxy with bleeding edge shows covering science, technology, and even pop culture. Podcasts like Sovereign Trek, bringing you the latest and greatest in everything Star Trek. TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast where the Man of Tomorrow and Robin Freebeard talk Star Wars like no other show out there. The Hard and Fast podcast where Metal is King and the latest album reviews and interviews with the greatest acts in hard rock and heavy metal happen. And you can even become a member of the Zomia One Underground and get access to thousands of hours of exclusive content and shows. And this isn't Patreon, baby. Oh, no. This is all happening on the premier podcast platform, Podbean. So head over to Zomia1.com. That's Z-O-M-I-A-O-N-E.com. And become a part of the future with Zomia One. And become a member of the Zomia One Underground. And while you're at it, download the Podbean app on iOS and Android. Be the future. Zomia1.com. <laughs>